welcome to the First Intuition podcast. On this show, myself and Dave were joined by our colleague, Becky White. She shared with us her experiences of anxiety and trauma leading to panic attacks. We discussed the signs and symptoms and how you can help support yourself and others if you are in this situation. It's a serious subject, and I've put a link for further help and support in the show notes. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the First Intuition Student Forum and Podcast. My name is Ben Bullman. I'm joined this evening by a live group of students on Zoom, but I'm also joined again by my good friend and colleague, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Evening, Ben. And how are you this week? Um, really good. As we're recording this live on the Wednesday night, we've just had the unexpected, rather sad bank holiday for the funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, but managed to have Monday where I did log in and do a couple of bits of work, but, but was at home with the family for most of it, watching the stuff unfold on the telly. Um, but life goes on, continuing to welcome new students onto our programme, as I know you have been in induction sessions and first days of classes in Chelmsford. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's been a yeah, busy, busy start to the week and busy really start to this term. Um, I, like you, was at home this Monday. And something that really struck me is as I watched the, the funeral proceedings, this is going to sound really odd, but um, how amazing do bagpipes sound? And, and it's kind of like when bagpipes are played really, really well, um, as they were on Monday, I just thought it was just a phenomenal kind of like wall of sound, massive music that was really moving. And when you contrast that to some kind of like someone trying to play them in a bit of an amateur basis and you can hear it squawking everywhere, it just makes a huge difference. And I, I said to my wife, it's the only thing that I can compare it to is the difference between bagpipes played really well, which sound amazing, and bagpipes played in an amateur way, which sound horrible, is it's like the difference between um, a, an orchestra playing the, playing the violin and a child learning it for the first time when it just sounds like a cat's being strangled. So that uh, just blew me away. The sounds, the, the, the sounds of the, in fact, all of the sounds all the way through Monday, I thought that, you know the, the music just sounded absolutely awesome. Um, but I know the thing that's been on everyone's mind this week, Ben, um, and, you know, I, I can't count the number of people that just stopped me in the street to ask the question. Um, last week, you were in, a, in the back of your car and you were about to go and watch your daughter play netball. Um, I think everyone is wondering what actually happened. So how was the game? Um, the game was great. She played the whole match, which was really, really good, actually. Playing and this center. is a ladies' match that your, this, this your was very young daughter played. played. Ladies team at 13. Um, for any netballers, she played centre, which is quite an active place on the court. You're up and down quite a bit. And she did really, really well playing against some slightly older ladies who are probably a bit more streetwise than her around a netball court. Unfortunately, they didn't win the match. They were really close. Quarter one, quarter two, I think there was one goal in it. But in quarter three, the other team got about four goals ahead and they managed to bring it back. So they lost by, by three. But she played really well. She's playing again tonight. My wife's got the job of going to support and ferry her around this evening. So thank you for asking. That's, that's Just before awesome. we move on, bagpipes, I want to say, for fear of any controversy, this might split the audience as much as financial accounting versus management accounting or the love or not love of audit. I think they are the worst sounding instrument in the world. 
even watching the Queen's funeral, where presumably he was the best bagpipe player anywhere in the world, I still think it sounds just like a random load of notes thrown together without any kind of clear tune. We're going to Edinburgh in a few weeks for half term, and um, I will actively walk away from anyone playing the bagpipes. I can't stand them. I can't believe that you're actually saying that with your actual voice. And I, I, I disagree. I, I, no, I disagree. I, I, I loved everything else, the music. I will listen to the, the trumpet players, the ones playing. My daughters both play brass instruments and some of them play in the ones without any finger bits. They're really hard. And I heard a man on the radio this week who's actually made some of them for the, the royal pageantry. The brass stuff was brilliant. The hymns they sang in the church, really good with all of the brass stuff in the, the final verses. Um, but the bagpipes, not a chance. Sorry. I mean, I, I, bet, I, I bet you are really hoping that, that your daughters aren't going to say marry a Scotsman and then have a piper at the wedding or something like that. But, I uh, certainly I, wouldn't yeah. be picking up the, the bill for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it might be. My, my grandmother was Scottish, so it might be something that's been passed down through the genes that mean that I'm genetically pre-programmed to like the sound of well-played bagpipes. Um, but yeah, I, I thoroughly disagree with that. And I think we better move on before we fall out and the, the whole thing's abandoned. Um, we have got a guest with us to, tonight, Ben. So I, I'm going to introduce um, one of my colleagues. Um, now, she's, she's come up on, on my screen as Rebecca White, but I know her better as Becky. So good evening, Becky. Um, how are you this evening? Good evening. Hello. Thank you for having me on. I'm doing really well. Thank you. Excellent. Now, Becky, the, the reason that, that Ben and I wanted you to, to come onto the show is a few weeks ago, you did a, a talk with, for some of our team in Chelmsford that um, I, I attended and listened to, and I, I got absolutely loads out of it, and I was fascinated by some of the things you talked about. So um, do you remember what that talk was about? Yep. So I did a talk about panic attacks and anxiety, uh, mainly for, it was, it was a, uh, a talk that I did for the staff at First Intuition Chelmsford based off the fact that we've had quite a few students um, suffer in centre with things like panic attacks um, and we've just seen a lot of you know a lot more talk around anxiety um, and people struggling at the moment so um, I sort of talked about my own experiences with it um, I you know very openly suffer with anxiety and I've have had panic attacks in the past um, so luckily I was on site when uh, a student actually had a panic attack so um, I felt like you know I was able to, to I was quite comfortable dealing with the situation but I know that there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't know what mm -hmm. to do or, or what was going on basically so yeah I, I decided to do like a little talk about it. Excellent and, and that's that's going to be a lot of things that we're going to talk about this evening but I mean I guess before we go on too much further um and i'll probably say this three or four times today and um, that none of us are qualified medical professionals so we're not here to kind of to diagnose and we're not here to kind of give any kind of like suggestions in terms of medical treatment and things like that what i really want to do is as we've done before is kind of like just to shine a light and just to try and help people to understand what some of these things look like and feel like um, and, and it's something that I know we've done before. And we've talked about things like depression and, um, and it, you know, it sounds crazy, but the, until I was probably in my 30s, I didn't really know what depression felt like. 
and it was something that people told me about and I thought depression meant you feel sad and when I've spoken to people that, that have suffered with depression and they've explained what depression feels like it's it's not you're feeling sad okay there's a whole whole load of other things that, that are there that I really didn't understand and you know it, it took me 35 40 odd years to actually understand a little bit more about that and I wonder how much more feeling there is around things like anxiety things like panic attacks where people think they're one thing and actually there's something quite different but before we get there Becky we always like our guests to give a bit of background and and this is what I refer to as your superhero backstory so my my daughter and I at the moment are watching on Disney plus um She-Hulk she will only watch superhero programs at all if there is a female superhero. So she won't watch anything with a male lead, but anything with a female lead she wants to watch. So she's really into She-Hulk at the moment. So we know that She-Hulk got her superpowers by being exposed to the Hulk's blood and as a result then took on some of the power. So um, from your perspective, this was our superhero movie and you've got that five minutes to describe your backstory as to how you got here and got the powers you've got, okay? Um, what would that movie look like, Becky? I, I feel like you're all going to be a bit let down now and a bit disappointed. <laughs> Is it not a radioactive Um But I mean, in terms of my, my backstory, if you like, um, before I sort of turned up at First Intuition, I sort of went, I went through a bit of a career change um, in my sort of mid to late 20s. Um, I, I, le- I absolutely loved school and I loved college and I loved learning. I just had no idea what I wanted to do as a career. Um, and I went off to university to do nursing and realised that wasn't for me and then left and then I got a job in a hospital, I got a job in an office, I got a job in advertising, I worked in marketing, I just dotted myself wherever I possibly could to try and figure out what what I wanted to do Um, and when I had my my son uh, when you know I think he was only well it's even just before he was born actually um I decided that I was going to go back to university but do it do through the open university so that we could I could carry on working and it gave me the flexibility that I could you know still earn a wage and be able to stay for a house while I was studying and just took it back to the roots and just thought what do I love well I love reading I love English I love all of that sort of stuff so I decided to go and do an English degree and I it took me six years to do it part-time but absolutely loved it. And after I got that degree, I thought, right, I'm going to go and I'm going to be a teacher. That's that's my calling. That's my thing. I want to be in education. And went off, brand new teacher, very, very excited. I think I lasted about three months. <laughs> I realised it really wasn't for me at all. You have to be such a special kind of person to walk into a school and be a teacher. And my hat goes off to anyone that does that job. Um, but I realised very quickly that they, it wasn't for me. Um, but there were aspects of it that I loved and I knew that I loved education. I loved the higher education. And um, so like being in the sixth form and talking to um, people that are then starting their careers. Um, so that's when I started to look into moving into sort of college education. And that's where I met Dave and Kelly at FI Chelmsford. And they, I think they took a bit of a pun on me like due to my sort of mishmash cv that it was um but you know i've been there God, how many years have you been now i think we're coming up to year six that i've been there um started off in their admin team and very you know pretty much elbowed my way through <laughs> through anything that i could get my hands on um to get involved and just realize just how much i loved working 
um, with students and love working in, in the environment. And um, I'm now the apprenticeship manager after working with, alongside Kelly really closely in the apprenticeship team. And, um, you know, I work alongside the skills coaches and obviously get on really well with the tutors and the admin team. So what I love about my job is I get to work alongside not just everyone at Chelmsford, but everyone across the FI network. And Ben's familiar with the fact that I, you know, started a safeguarding network. You know, not, it wasn't enough for me to be a safeguarding leader at Chelmsford. I wanted to get in touch with all the other safeguarding leaders around FI. Um, and what's great about that is that I can just, I know that I can pick up the phone to Ben, I can pick up the phone to Ginny in London and, you know, Lucy in Leeds, and I can just chat to anybody around the network and, um, yeah, unfortunately, I've sort of made myself that person that I'll just get involved wherever I possibly can. But I suppose that's probably my superhero power is the ability to get myself involved, even if it's nothing to do with me. <laughs> I like that. And, uh, you said that, um, that I probably, you know, all those years ago, took a bit of a punt on you. I remember having um, kind of a, a discussion with with Kelly and it, it was Kelly and I were directors of first intuition Chelmsford and we'd interviewed you and it was you're absolutely right it was for an admin role and um when we looked at your CV we looked in it was kind of like English grads you started teacher training you've had a load of roles in kind of marketing and sales um and we said this is an admin role and you know it doesn't pay a massive wage and yet you've got all these qualifications. And it was kind of, I remember Kelly saying that she's going to realise she can earn more money after a couple of months and she'll probably leave and go somewhere else. And I remember kind of like having a discussion saying, wouldn't you rather someone that's overqualified and wants to do the job? Even if they leave, they'll probably be better at that job while they're there. And if they're really good, they'll actually leave the job in better shape than when they came in. And you did that really, really well. Because remember, you came in and the role that you came in to do, which was an exam administrator role, um, after six months, you'd automated it and put a system in place that we didn't actually need you anymore. Um, and it's kind of like, well, a computer program now does what we'd employed a person to do. Um, but in doing that, you then gave yourself the opportunity to take on other stuff. And to me, that's your superpower is to be able to take something, do it really, really, really well, do it so that other people or other things can do it and then move on and do something else, which is which is how you got to where you are, because th there definitely wasn't a nice career path that says you start as an exam administrator and then you end up heading up apprenticeships because that's not really a linear ladder that you follow. But one of the things you mentioned there is that um, you are one of the safeguarding team. Mm -hmm. and you work across a number of centres so can you just explain a little bit what what does you know what does that actually mean in terms of being part of a safeguarding team what, what kind of things are you looking at so um we we I say we established a safeguarding team I know that Kelly's pretty much used to run safeguarding um and we established a bit more of a team because especially as the more and more apprentices and students that are walking through our doors um it couldn't just fall on one person to be responsible for that part you know we needed a team we needed a, a group of people and we wanted it to be more of a volunteer volunteering role we didn't want somebody to you know made them feel that they had to be a safeguarding person because in order for that role to work well, you need to really care, you need to really be able to have the skills and the knowledge to be able to, to deal with, you know, because you don't know what's going to come your way in that role. And you could have a variety of different issues and topics and situations that are going to come your way. Um, and it can be quite stressful in itself. So um, it's making sure you get the right people 
Um, and for myself, um, I, you know, I'd worked in schools, I'd been a governor of a school, I'd worked in a hospital, I'd worked with very sick, very young, very you know, children. So I'd already had a lot of exposure to safeguarding. So I felt very comfortable also having dealt with you know mental illness and things like that myself and obviously in my family I felt very comfortable being able to deal with those sorts of things and you know I love learning and you know if it was you know, another training session and another seminar, you know another webinar like, I love all that kind of stuff so for me that's why I wanted to be involved in the safeguarding team and what we do is we we basically it's not just our job to look after people that's a culture thing it's everybody's job to look after people anybody that walks in through the doors can talk to anybody at fi um, about their about anything that they're worried about you know that that's the that's the ethos that's the culture but the safeguarding team's responsibility is to make sure that those processes and the procedures are really robust so that nobody slips through the net and that if anybody comes to anybody in FI with a problem, with an issue, then we make sure that we we make we, we've got processes in place to make sure that person is is safe, and that we can point them in the right direction to get them the help and advice that they need. And if we need to take it further, then we will be the people to have those conversations with with agencies outside of FI. Um, so it is a really really important role. And but what I've loved about it is, like I said, I've been able to set up the network across FI, so I get to work with all the safeguarding leads. And some of the things that have come out of it have been absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, like I know Ginny's done loads of Ben, obviously, comes out with amazing ideas. You know, I've always like tapping on ideas for those guys. Um, and also we're a we're a net for each other. So I've had Ginny call me about something that's happened in her centre. And because we are all safeguarding leads, you know, we know we had to keep that confidentiality and we can help and advise each other as well as the students as well so um yeah it's very we've, we've worked really really hard to get a real good culture across the whole network not just in our centers hi becky it's ben hi um i really love that talk of, of culture and something that you really kind of try to promote across all of the first intuition offices all of the staff we're obviously designated safeguarding leads, me and you. We've got colleagues in other centres holding those um, official titles. But I, I like the fact that we kind of make it cultural. Everybody at FI cares for everybody else, students included, caring for each other, caring for themselves. Um, and the FI network is a really great channel to bring all of that energy together. Just quickly, I'll remind people, I've popped a link in the chat box. I'll also put a link for podcast listeners in the show notes. But something and again Becky this was you driving it forward we have got a central safeguarding link on the website so if you are a student of first intuition and you want to know who are the designated safeguarding officers or look on there for other signpost avenues for help support advice there's a really good link that I've put as I say in the chat box for the live students this evening and we'll also make sure it's in the show notes for the podcast listeners to go and check out your, your local safeguarding team at FI. Excellent. Thanks for that, Ben. So that brings us kind of round to our, our topic of today. And um, you said that, Becky, that you, you kind of wanted to share your experiences with people um, in a, internally within First Intuition. And... Um, you know what I'd like to kind of explore a little bit is kind of like what those experiences actually are. So could you kind of I guess it's just um you know give me a little outline as to um as to why it is or, or kind of what happened to you in terms of to to bring you to the point that you wanted to share this information. 
Sure. Um, so I have actually been diagnosed with anxiety. I've had depression in the past. Um, I had depression after I left university the first time. So I was 18. Um, and then I had it again when I had my first child. So I had postnatal depression um, and I was treated for antenatal depression with my second. So unfortunately, I've had um, quite a bit of mental illness um, in my past. But but from now on, I've, I'm, I'm just um, I've only got the label of anxiety, shall we say, although we don't like labels. But um, it's something that I've been diagnosed with and it's I, I've had to work. It took me a very long time, you know, counselling and, you know, I've got some really amazing uh, doctors that I work with as well um, that have been able to sort of help me figure out what my triggers are, what it is that's actually um, when my, we have actually builds up my anxiety to a bit more of an overwhelming level. Um, and I take medication to, to monitor that as well. Um, I've also have, um, I have people in my family that have suffered. Um, I've got actually a, a relative who has a, a personality disorder and um, has also suffered with severe depression. So for me, it's working really hard with people to sort of, you know, try to lose the stigma around it, but also, you know, show that, okay, well, I'm open to talk about it. So if you are struggling, come and talk to me. You know, if you're, if you're not too sure, if you just need someone to talk to, um, you know, if I find that because I've been quite open about it, people have been willing to come to me. And I, I think as long as I can provide an avenue for somebody to then signpost them into getting help, um, you know, I, I think the more that we talk about these things, the more people are more likely to go and get the help. They realise that actually it's not OK to feel like this. This isn't normal. And it took me a long while to realise that what I was feeling wasn't normal, that this was going beyond normal um and when we talk about panic attacks um i have suffered with them in the past and i've never i you know i remember the first time i had one i genuinely thought i was dying because i've never felt anything like it before um and when i when it happened again it was still like oh my god i'm you know even though actually you know it's happening you still can't get over that that feeling and that fear um and again to just talking about it is almost my therapy I like to talk about these things it makes you know it, I think it's good to get it off your chest um and like you say Dave there are people out there that just would never know or they, they hear the words of panic attack but it means nothing because you don't know what that means you don't know what what sensations there are what you know or whether these people would need your help or how you could help them and um, what it looks like what it feels like and I remember my husband, the first time that I had a panic attack, he'd never, you know, witnessed or seen anything like it. Obviously, I had no idea what was going on. And, you know, he he was utterly scared. He had no idea what to do. And luckily, the second time that it happened, he was able to sort of step up and he knew exactly what was happening and then was able to deal with it. And so, therefore, you know, for me, education, learning, understanding, knowing what the experiences can look and feel like, just helps everyone prepare because you know you never know at what time these things can happen and they can happen to anybody anything can trigger them so um yeah that is why I like to to talk about them and to share my experiences and I I, I love I love loads of the things you said there and there are, there are things that very very closely resonated to the discussion we had with Ginny a while ago um where where she talked about her own depression and she said that there that that she one of the things that came, I I got for it was that she said that there are three things that she needed to help her and she referred to them as the three t's and you mentioned all three of them in terms of one of them being tablets or medication um one of them just being time 
uh, because you, you you can't make yourself well, you know, in in the clap of the hand. It it is something that takes time. And the other thing is talking. Uh, and you know, you talked about counselling, and and you know, it was it, 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 the same things. I think ring true. I think for a lot of these things. And something else you said is that by sharing your experiences, it it really does help people. And I think I've had more people um, that have contacted me to say that I've helped them by me talking about my experience of failing exams than I ever have by me talking about this is how you pass an exam. And, you know, it's, it's that, that just that recognition that other people have gone through those difficult times makes people think that they can do it themselves. So, um, first of all, thank you for, for coming along. And I, I do want to look at kind of what your experience of, of a panic attack actually actually was like. So, um, and again, the, the panic attacks are unique. Um, you know, your, your experience of a panic attack could be very, very different to someone else's. So I, I just kind of want to kind of hear a little bit more about that. That I guess the first time you had a panic attack, could you explain kind of what actually happened to you and what what it what it felt like to you, and then maybe what it looked like from the outside? If you can, you know, maybe get ask your husband or, or kind of write down <laughs> notes what your husband said. Drag him in and get him to relay it. Um, I mean, I suppose first of all, it's it's really important because I think when people think of panic attacks, they think of somebody who's very naturally panicky. And like a, just an anxiety type person. Like I've always been an anxious person. My mum was an anxious person. Um, and people seem to associate that it's really important to understand that anything can trigger a panic attack. And actually something like pain or trauma or witnessing a traumatic event or, you know, anything like that. Something external can also trigger a panic attack in somebody that's never had to deal with any of that before. So it's really important to sort of separate what a panic attack is to something like anxiety because anxiety is something that builds up over a prolonged period of time um, and it's only when it becomes really it becomes overwhelming that it starts to become a problem um, so I relate anxiety as the fog in my brain some days it's foggier than other days so some days I'm able to think really clearly, really rationally, and I'm able just to get on with my day. And other days the fog is so thick that I just cannot concentrate and I can't think rationally. And that's how I describe how anxiety feels within my head. Um, it's just, again, it just helps to paint picture. When you walk outside and the, it's thick fog and you can't see your hands in front of your face, you know, you then try and think if that's in your head of then trying to get on with a day of work and a day of dealing with the kids and you know life so that's the difference but with, with a panic attack it's a, a sudden urge of feeling that happens very very quickly and it lasts roughly around sort of 10 minutes ish um and then you start to sort of um to sort of come out of it so it's very different and a lot of people seem to think like anxiety attack is kind of a thing and it, it's not anxiety becomes very overwhelming then you have a panic attack which is a very physical thing um so the first time that I had a panic attack was actually it was that it was actually brought on by pain so I had a very sudden pain um in my stomach that just um came out of nowhere and it was I was doubled over like in pain like, I couldn't move I was really you know struggling to explain to my husband like I'm, I don't know what's happened something's wrong I'm in a bit of pain um and it was that fear of the unknown of what what is happening to me that's brought on the panic attack and for me I've 
I genuinely thought I was dying. That's probably the only thing I can explain, that there was just that fear of this is it, this is the end. I flashed, you know, life was flashing before my eyes, like this is the end now. Um, you know, your heart is racing, you're sweating. Um, and it, th- those are very common physical symptoms of a panic attack, that your body is going into a state of panic. So your temperature is going to rise, your heart rate's going to rise, your breathing's going to be erratic, um, you're going to sweat. But another thing that really shocked me was I lost the feeling in my fingers and my toes and my jaw. And like I couldn't move. I couldn't talk and I couldn't feel my hands and I couldn't start, start to not feel my legs. And I, that was that fear just intensified at that point. And I'd later, after doing some research and speaking to my doctor, realized that actually what happens is because you're and it only happens to some people. See, that happened to me. It doesn't happen to everybody. But where the blood is rushing from your extremities to your organs because it's it's almost like your body's in a bit of shock so it's trying to keep you alive so your your blood is rushing to your vital organs to keep you alive so actually you can lose the blood from your extremities so your fingers your toes and I actually lost a bit of like my jaw basically locked up because everything was rushing to the middle of my body so it's really quite interesting about what what actually happens you know, when your body goes into that state of panic and how serious it can be. I don't think anyone's ever died from a panic attack, actually. It's just a fear of it. Mentally wise, you feel that it's dying, but actually it's just your body just trying to regulate itself. Um, But I think mentally as well, you, you genuinely feel detached from what's going on. I remember it felt a bit like I was watching myself go through it. I, could, I was watching my husband deal with me and I wasn't there. It was really, really bizarre. Um, and I know that with anxiety, it, it's never that intense. It's normally a prolonged, you know, feeling very irritable, restless. You're not able to sleep. Your concentration wanes. So there's a real, um, there's a real difference. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, like I said, for me, that was my experience. And the most important thing and the the way of being able to try and get yourself out of that state of panic is to try and regulate your breathing. It really is the the main, you know, you look at any website, any mental health website or any YouTube video or, you know, you speak to a medical professional, the majority of them will tell you, get the breathing techniques down, get your breathing down. And, you know, in films, when you see them blowing into paper bags, that's kind of a thing when people's breathing... The reason they do that is because you're, it's to bring your focus back. So when you're watching a bag inflate and deflate, you're actually just slowly regaining the control of your breathing. And that's the key. And if you're watching somebody going through that intense state, you know, they might not be able to talk to you. But if you can just talk to them and just say, I'm here and I'm with you and I'm going to do this breathing and I want you to copy me. And just by getting them to slowly copy you, and it will take a few minutes, but you'll notice that things start to calm down and then things start to regulate because they're focusing on the breathing and it's it's bringing all that mentality and all the physical starts to follow with it. And, you know, the human body is absolutely incredible and the brain's incredible and something so straightforward as, control your breathing brings everything together it's really really fascinating but my my way of getting out of that is the four and six breathing technique which is breathing in through your nose for six seconds 
for four seconds, holding it for two and then releasing it really, really slowly for six seconds and then just repeating over and over again until you get back to a bit bit more of a calm. Um, and my husband's pretty, you know, he's pretty on it now and he knows it. And as soon as I start, even if my anxiety is starting to get a bit high and I can feel my heart starting to race, you know, he's like, remember you're breathing, let's do it together. Four, let's breathe breathing for four, let's breathe out for six. Let's breathe in for four, breathe out for six. And just by focusing and concentrating on that gets me out of that state of panic. But yeah, again, sure. really really scary when you're there and scary for anyone witnessing you having a panic attack yep. you mentioned you then had one after that a second one during the second one were you more aware of what was potentially happening and what you were were going through it's weird because i i it's because it, i knew but because i was in that state of panic you still feel like you're dying and you still feel like i'm not this isn't me going through it like you feel so detached from it that rational Again, that fog through the panic is, is not just fog, it's a storm. It's a thunder and lightning storm going on. It's, it's absolute, it's hectic. So all those rational thoughts, even that tiny little rational thought of, I think this is a panic attack, starts to sort of detach away. Um, so I still needed a bit of support to get out of it. And I wasn't able to get myself out of it, if that makes sense. But once we got, once I got over that initial intense surge I then started to get it was able to then regulate my own breathing down I was able to continue the technique on my own to get it down um but it's yeah it's a panic attack is a very bizarre thing because that tiny little rational thought that you know could just settle the whole thing just just go straight out the window and your body just takes over Sure. And, and you've mentioned, and obviously you're very lucky that you've got your husband who's aware of the potential for you to have a panic attack. Something, I did a mental health first aid course um, oh, about a year ago now. And one of the things that we were encouraged to do, if, if you believe someone's having a panic attack, and obviously we've got to be careful, as Dave said, we're not medically qualified. We can't start diagnosing stuff. Nope. But... I believe it's okay to ask, have you had a panic attack before? Do you feel this could be a panic attack you're having? Obviously, you're lucky enough that your husband kind of knows the signs and can hopefully talk you through what you need to start thinking of doing. But I would encourage, particularly if you're prone to panic attacks, if you feel confident enough to mention it to people that maybe you work with or people you're going to be spending time with, look, I am prone to having panic attacks. They might be just a bit more aware of when things are, are starting to happen. And you, you start to get to know sort of triggers and things. So for me, it was pain and fear um, that sets off my panic attack. Uh, the second time being when I had COVID and I had COVID right at the very beginning. So just before we went into lockdown in March 2020, I had COVID and it was I was really seriously ill for weeks. And my breathing was really struggling because my chest and it was that fear of going into hospital, seeing what was on the news about everything that was kicking off. That's what set mine off. So you have this kind of expected panic attacks and unexpected and you know there are going to be people that suffer with them quite a lot or know their triggers um, so for example a student that we had in center she felt it coming on she felt that she was starting to go into panic and she was able to communicate to her tutor through a note and saying like, i have to leave the room and she left and then that's when her the body 
the physical started to take over and then she lost control she wasn't able to talk anymore after that and but she luckily got to her point got to a point where she knew what was happening um so again and luckily for her she also knows things that helps her get out of it so for me like I said the breathing helped her you know she actually mentioned that she uses an oil um a menthol oil because the smell helps her focus so we mentioned that perhaps having it out on her desk so that it was easy for one of us to grab for her um, if it was to happen again. So yeah, it's it's really important if, if it is something that you've suffered with or you know someone that suffers with them, you know, if you become familiar with what works for them and then that way, if you are around and it's happening, then it's just much easier if you say, do you think this is a panic attack? And if they are able to communicate with you, it's right, okay, I know what, I, I know what might help here. Um, but generally, if it's somebody or it's unexpected, um, the best thing to do is to try and find them a safe, quiet space for them. So if they're in centre, a classroom or an office, if they're at work, you know, or even if it's like, a, you know, even in the toilets or just somewhere in a corridor where they can just have a, a, a space where they're not going to get hurt, you know, like not on top of a stairwell or anything like that. Um, and it's making sure that you're just as stressed out as you might be. It's just trying to keep the level calm and let them know that you're there so it's a case of i'm here you're okay you're safe you take as much time as you need and um, what i'm going to do is i'm just going to get just mentioned to another member of staff that i'm here with you and then i'll come back okay but you won't be on your own for too long and then i definitely recommend you mention it to someone else if no one else was aware just so then you're not left on your own and that you've got the support and then it's just talking through with them and remembering that they might not be able to talk back but just saying to them i'm going to do some breathing try and copy me okay and then try and do a bit of breathing with them try and get the regular you know get them to regulate their breathing and then once they start coming out of it they should then start to be able to talk to you answer questions you know they might want to drink of water and just it's just really important that they know that they could take as much time as they need and remembering for, for you as well that going through a panic attack really drains the body and it drains your brain so that person most likely it's going to be feeling very tired a bit upset might feel a bit embarrassed and probably not going to want to continue with their day so it's making sure that they can get home or get somewhere else safely as well afterwards and um, but if, you know if basically it's making sure that somebody's got the safest space a space where they're free to be able to get through what they need to get through and that you are just able you know just able to do whatever you can to try and get the level of calm and get the breathing as, as Dan remembering if you're not comfortable get somebody else talk to somebody else don't feel like you have to do anything that you're not comfortable with remembering we're not medical experts you're not a medical expert so do call on somebody else um, if you're feeling uncomfortable as well excellent thank, thank you so much Rebecca. we are actually running right up against time and we, we have got um, a, a few lovely comments in the in the chat box and um, people have been asking about um, about dealing with and managing anxiety which to be honest I don't think we're really going to have time right now to be able to go into that in in a huge amount of detail which which I was planning to because I've, I've I had loads of questions that I still haven't asked but I was actually kind of like just just really just sitting back taking in everything you were saying and, and again really fascinated by everything that you said um I will people point people in the direction of a, a podcast episode that we put together. Um, I think it was last year, which was about dealing with um, exam anxiety. And we had someone there that, that again, that was was one of our, our friends and colleagues from First Intuition in London, who um, 
talked about helping to manage your anxiety and talked a lot about using breathing techniques there as well. Um, and um, there's a lot of science in terms of that, that when, when you when you do kind of like undergo those deep breathing exercises, you're really taking in a lot of oxygen. What it's doing is it's it's doing the opposite of what you talked about earlier, where all the blood is flying away from your brain to your vital organs. By taking those deep breaths, it opens up the the the, again, the oxygen into your brain, which actually starts getting your brain to actually focus in the way that it can do so um, I, I, those breathing exercises are something that I, I always used to really hate doing because um, I, I used to sit there when people said oh you, this is how you breathe and all I'd be doing is going am I breathing right what, what if I stop doing this? Am I going to stop breathing? And I get really stressed out about not being able to breathe. Um, but I, I did go to a seminar where this lady actually went through this amazing like set of breathing exercises. And I came out of it just feeling amazing. So it is something that, that I know, know can help. And it is something that uh, when I've looked on, when I've you know done some research and, you know, one of the things that I look at quite a lot is the Mind website. And the Mind website is brilliant for finding out about kind of like lots of these different things. And, um, um, they, they again, they recommend um, okay, deep breathing exercises, something that can really help you. Something else they talk about is, um, which you, you mentioned as well, is um, having something that tastes minty and being able to focus on those strong tastes. Again, which you talked about with those kind of menthol vapours and things like that. Yeah, so, anything that can sort of bring focus. So it could be a smell, it could be a taste. Um, you know, one thing that actually works really well for me is colour visualisations. This is something that I learned um, actually when I started therapy that actually really worked for me, which was it's a, you're doing the breathing, you're doing the breathing in and out, as Dave mentioned, but you're doing a bit of colour visualisation with it. So you're thinking of the colour blue when you're breathing in. So all the connotations with the colour blue or, you know, the sea, the, sun, the sky, you know, that sort of level of calmness, it's a nice calm lovely color and then when you're breathing out you're thinking of the color red and where that's where we associate the color red with with bad and pain and you know all those sort of negative thoughts that we're having so it's that you're breathing in the good and you're letting go of the bad and actually that that actually really really helps me in times of extreme anxiety um but like i said it, it really is trial and error and working what's best for you and like I said we, we have students that bring in sort of you know them extra strong mints because you know sucking and, and that taste of that mint is a really good focus you know in, in those in those instances so it's definitely worth seeing what what might work best for you but definitely look up things like meditation um, and sort of some well-being there's some really lovely like three minute videos on youtube um that does lots of different like pressure points like that's a really good one as well when you do like the pressure points around your face and your, your neck where, where you know sort of the biggest sort of stress pressure points are that can sort of help release some anxiety um, so it's really worth having a look to see what's out there and just trying it and see what what you think works for you. Excellent, thanks, for Becky. And the 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 thing that I think we should really stress is that um, that you know the, the advice is that if you believe you've had a panic attack, then you should really see someone. Um, so you know you you should really be seeking some kind of medical support just so that people can make sure that they know exactly what you've gone through and so that they, they can help you by putting in um, kind of preventative measures and they, they can help you with any kind of diagnosis that's needed. So um, it is something that if you, if you are in a, in a position where you've had to go through something like that, 
don't suffer alone you know it's, it's make sure that you are seeking help there are people out there that, that, that are able to help you we will put some links to kind of some of the, the charities that we work with in the in the podcast notes but on that note we have reached that time where we have to have to call a close on proceedings today and um, so first of all thank you so much becky um for for sharing your story with us today and um, I, I, you know, it's one of those things that I, I don't necessarily think I could say that, um, oh, I really enjoyed it, um, because it's not, but, but it's something I think is essential. I think it's something that we need to talk about more. And I really appreciate the fact that you have talked about it. And I'm sure that there are people here right now. And there'll also be people that are, are going to be listening to this, maybe as they walk their dog one morning, um, that, that it really resonates with them in terms of I've been through something similar. And I'm really glad that someone else has because it means now that I don't feel as alone. And that's something that I think that, that if, if we can get these messages out there, it, it will help people that maybe feel like they're struggling with this and they're the only people in the world that have these, you know, these kind of battles that they need to face. So thank you so much for spending time with us today, Becky. Um, having me. Excellent. Um, and I'm gonna leave it to, to our good friend, Ben, just to say the final words for this evening. Um, yes, thank you both very much. Certainly by the look of the chat box, this is a subject we will come back and do on a future show. So look out for that in a couple of weeks time. Um, hopefully, Becky, you might even be able to come back and join us. Um, I put a link to a bit there and I'll make sure the links are all in the show notes for guys listening to the podcast. Thank you for continuing to come to the live student sessions. We will be back again next Wednesday at six o'clock with another subject to have a discussion around. Thank you for those listening to the podcast and your continued support in downloading episodes. Please continue to share the link with as many people as you feel would benefit from listening. Um, thank you all very much. Have a, a lovely, good week. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.